Welcome to VC for Stupid Idiots. We are your idiots, Marianne, Michelle, and Francesco from NomadicMinds.Capital. Here, we interview the best investors on the planet to learn their secrets and tell them a lot of bad jokes. Then, we use their knowledge to invest in emerging market startups. Because this is the most effective way to lift people out of poverty and make outstanding returns. If you want to see what we are investing in this week, please join us at nomadicminds.capital. Welcome to another episode of VC for Stupid Idiots. Today, we have our superstar guest with us today, founding partner at J12 Ventures, Emmett King. Emmett, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the chance to be here and chat with you. So yeah, very briefly, I'm from the UK originally, nine years now in Stockholm, where I've been working with you guys the whole time, really. We, we co-founded a fintech company in the personal pension savings space together, co-founded an angel investor network here in, in Stockholm and, and started making very early investments through that setup. And so after a few years of working on both sides of the table, we put full focus on, on scaling out our investing activities. And, and that's when we, we founded J12 a few years ago to invest uh, in pre-seed and, and seed stage companies, mostly in the Nordics and, and a little bit across Europe. So that's been kind of the, the meandering path on both the founder and, uh, and the investor side. So on, on a, obviously on a professional level, what do you think is your most outstanding achievement so far? Like the one that if you say that to someone, someone will look at you and say, wow. I don't know. I, I think that's a question better asked to, to, to people other than myself. I, I, I would like to say, I guess, I guess it, it's a difficult thing to do to, to start a first fund. You know, that's something that I'm, I'm happy that we managed to pull off. Whether it's outstanding or not, I, I, I don't believe so. But um, it, it's not easy and it, it took a lot of work. So, so I'm glad that we got there. What have you enjoyed most about it? About running the fund and, and investing. I, I mean, I think for me, it's an extremely privileged position because most of my day is spent meeting a lot of different entrepreneurs who tend to be very ambitious, smart, creative, you know, slightly crazy people working in all sorts of markets and with all sorts of different technologies. So getting the opportunity to learn about you know, a ton of different things. So it's, it's extremely yeah, energizing and inspiring to, to meet so many of those types of people and to learn about so much that's kind of at the forefront and, and then to have the opportunity to work with, with a handful of those to hopefully create you know, new global category leading companies is is a very privileged position to to be in that's great so regarding your current fund okay what does alexander the great and winnie Deepu have in common regarding no, no, sorry it's not, it's obviously not relevant to your fund <laughs> yeah yeah I'm what do you. alexander the great and winnie the Pooh have in common um i think they're both great philosophers no 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 they've got the same middle name 
So, uh, go, 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 going back on us. Cool. So, like, you know, raising the first fund is the classic one out of 100 situation where one out of 100 make it and 99 they simply don't. Why do you think you managed to convince those LPs to invest in Hemet King, the British guy living in, in Nordex, rather than someone else? And what advice would you give to people that want to do the same? Yeah. I mean, luckily, it's it's not just Emmett King. I mean, so so being a part of the, the team of four that we are with uh, a very complementary skill sets is absolutely key. I mean, if if it's a first time fund, it's an investment in team. So I think we have a, a great balance between useful naivety and 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 drive and and also founder experience, which plays well when it comes to investing early stage. I think timing helped timing is always important in whatever you do and and i think there was a good early stage opportunity in the nordics when we've set out we've you know vc investing has has increased over the last few years the number of companies that um, are achieving great success seems to be increasing over over the last few years so i think there was a good timing to launch a fund in the stage that we launched i guess we we have a, a good collective as, as a team and we have a slightly different kind of structural model in in that as in addition to being an early stage fund we also run and manage an angel network which was the network that we kind of founded a few years before so so we have this somewhat unique hybrid of, of angel and fund under one roof so i think structured team and timing is is somewhat differentiated but otherwise in terms of advice yeah I, i think you need to have the opportunity to and be able to convince people that you're going to have access to to some of the best companies and that you're going to have the the chance to to win the chance to invest in in those great companies that that you see and that can be because of your positioning or because of your expertise or because there's a gap in the market but you need to have a a compelling reason around why you have the chance to invest where others may not. And do you see any connection between those successful companies, like any founder-specific traits or skill? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I, I think the best founders are kind of magnets in terms of their ability to attract talent, to attract capital, to attract customers i mean you know you need to be highly competitive on all those fronts to to scale fast and and out compete um so that can come in different ways uh, you know through charisma and visionary leadership or through being just uniquely insightful into what you're doing or whatever it is but but you need some form of that magnetism to get people on board with what you're looking to do and then I think you need to find the balance and it's extremely difficult to know where it is between being stubborn enough to ignore all of the the no's that you'll get or all of the people that say, you know, this can't be done, you won't manage to do that, it's too competitive or whatever the reasons are that you might fail and be stubborn enough to persist while at the same time being kind of open enough to you know pivot or change what you're doing listen to the right data or the right customer feedback or the right you know investor advice or whatever it may be so to have strong opinions but somewhat loosely held so that you can have grit but also be open to change and that's that's a very hard thing to do yeah definitely 
one important thing. So you were in the process into basically raising your fund, okay? And how did you? So one of the yeah one of the rules when you raise capital, if you do as a, a as a GP or if you do as a founder, is also a number game. So if you get in the same room with hundred potential investors, you go much higher chance to raise money than being in the room with 10 potential investors. Obviously, the, the better you are, the highest the conversion rate, but still, the more meetings, the more the chances, the more likely to raise the fund. What was your, let's say, trick, strategy, medium, channel, to try to get as much conversation going with LPs? How did you get in the same room with them? Yeah, I, I think um, it definitely helps to have more conversations, not least because you have to find, like always, kind of where your product market fit is in a way. So, you know, which type of investors actually want to invest in in what you're offering? Who does it make sense for? And that's that, that takes a number of conversations. For for us, I mean, there are different types of LPs, and and we have the the full range of them. So so large institutions, um, both kind of public and private. Um, individuals that may have founded companies themselves before or family offices, um, you know, angel investors that want to invest in funds, other GPs that want to invest in other funds. So, so there's a, a full spectrum there. And I think our strategy was to, to create that mix because each of those different types of LPs brings different value to the table, whether it be network or experience or you know, insight into the kind of companies that we're going to be investing in or support from a, a governance perspective or on a fund level. So we we ran conversations with those dual tracks. Like a lot of fundraising processes, many things are relationship driven. So so introductions and, and working through networks to, to get to, to speak to the right people. And then it takes time. People need to get to know you as a team. And, and get comfortable with with what you're looking to do, and uh, and you have to be persistent. Well, naturally, I mean. So the main thing. So if you want, if you have to give one advice to people who want to raise the first fund, will be guys trying to get as much as much conversation going as you can. And the best tool is actually like introduction from other LPs or people that could be connected to LPs. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I think it's always helpful to, to get introductions, people that can vouch for you. It shortcuts things. But otherwise, yeah, you need to understand where your fit is. If your fund is, is rather small, a lot of institutional investors aren't going to be relevant because they need to invest larger amounts than, than is relevant for your fund size or, or they may just never invest in first-time funds. So you have to work out what types of investors are willing to invest those amounts in a first-time fund and have conversations with them. And like a lot of fundraising processes, many things are about momentum. So you need to get the ball rolling and, and, and move things towards some kind of finish line. Otherwise, it never gets there, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So, Emmett, as you know, we are actually famous for two things. The first is uh, emerging investing in emerging ecosystems, bringing people out of poverty. The second is really bad jokes. So I got to ask you, why do seagulls fly over the sea? Because they're seagulls. Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be called bagels. 
<laughs> I mean, you promised bad jokes, so you deliver. We did promise bad jokes. What what streets do go- ghosts haunt? Don't know. Dead ends. Got it. I'll take a few of these through with me into the weekend. Yes, please. Yeah, these remind me actually of the one time I bought my a PS5 for my little brother. Uh, it was actually one of the best trades I ever made. He's still living there in the Stony Store. And uh, having a <laughs> yes, five. Yeah, so going back on that. Nice. Yeah, so, okay, you are the Nordic guy, okay? You've been seeing the Nordic from a not Nordic perspective, correct? Yeah. So you can clearly spot if there's something that is better or worse than the other ecosystem. So my question is, I'll introduce you to investor. You show them the Nordic ecosystem. You introduce them to the relevant players. You introduce them to people. You introduce them to the good stakeholders, the good startups, and then they go back to their country. And I call them up and say, hey, how was your trip in Nordic? One, say, it was the best trip ever. This ecosystem is going to be amazing, and I'm sure he will grow massively. The second one will, will say like, okay, I don't get how these people who live there, I literally don't get why people are interested in Nordics. It's absolutely disgusting what the first one would have noticed and what the second one would have noticed to say so yeah good question the first i think would notice i mean we often talk about kind of the flywheel of success that that builds the ecosystem and and momentum and in sweden you you've had multiple waves of successful companies from skype to spotify to klarna to king to crew through caller and each of these large companies spawns dozens and dozens of founders of new companies, employees that have been on those amazing journeys who can then be early employees of, of, of new startups, angel investors who then put money into the ecosystem, new funds that are born from people that, that made money from founding those kind of companies. So I think Sweden really benefits from having those waves of successes and you see that kind of it's it's kind of like a compounding factor that quality is growing and the path to building those kind of globally dominant companies is increasingly well trodden here and 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 there's a lot of talent that has experience from doing that that can then go early into to new companies now let's go to the bad one the bad one i mean i guess you can complain it depends what time of year you come to the nordics you come in the winter you're complaining about the dark and the cold you come in the summer you'll think it's paradise on earth um i guess from a more specifically ecosystem perspective i guess one of the the flip side challenges of having all of those successes and, and huge companies is that those behemoths become very competitive when it comes to talent so they can pay a lot of money they can give great benefits they the compensation is great so you know local developer talent for example can be very competitive because there are some huge really nice companies to work with where you'll be very well paid that if you're very early stage it might, it might be hard to compete with so so you can look at two sides to the same coin of um, of the success of the ecosystem i guess yeah so basically the the thing is Guys, if you want to hire in Sweden, be aware that you're going to spend lots of money on hiring this, this worst developer in town. 
And uh, if you, or I mean, this this is why it comes to to what I said earlier with founders with magnetism. I mean, you need to yeah. be doing something interesting enough and be a, a core team that's compelling enough to convince yeah. great people to to join you when they could be very comfortable elsewhere. And that, yeah, that that's the challenge for sure. Yeah, and also like for the investors, I guess like when you guys invest, pay attention to the fact that you probably need a a tiny big check size if you want to make significant value because. If you have to pay more talents and stuff, it means that you need to basically get more money. Yeah, and then again, if someone is unemployed, please guys, go to Sweden and get a huge check because that's where they pay you good. Yeah. Come here, get a job, pay your taxes. Yeah. Taxes are huge anyway, correct, Hamid? I think think actually they're pretty good value for money, so it depends how how you want to look at it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, this is the thing. At the end of the day, taxes is paying the, corp- the ultimate corporation, this government, is providing services. So if it's worth it, it's worth it. Yeah? Exactly. Got it. Great. So uh, uh, we, we got four last questions for today, but we're going to mm. do our five questions. So we're going to ask you, Mary will ask you three questions, and I'm going to ask you the last one. And it's going to be super fast, and we're expecting you to reply with the first thing that pops in your head. <laughs> All right. Ready to go? Risky. All right. Cool. So first question, who is your biggest inspiration? First thing that pops into my head, I don't know why. I don't think he's my favorite, my biggest inspiration, but I'm going to say Arsene Wenger, the former Arsenal manager. I think he's a, a great guy on many fronts. Okay. Hardest industry right now? Uh, there's a lot happening within Web 3.0 blockchain, crypto, NFT use cases. Most of a looked industry. So the ones say, okay, people don't care about this, but I think there's way more potential than others. I mean, with the amount of money flying around, it feels like everything is getting a, a whole lot of attention. Yeah. I think there's a lot that is happening within the realms of like logistics and things like this, which is way less sexy than a lot of consumer cases. You are actually the fourth person on this podcast. Then, when we ask for the like uh, most of the looked industry, they say logistics. So there's something. It pretty much it pretty much means that it's not being overlooked. Then, if everybody's actually <laughs> no, not not really, not really, because like at the end of the day, we always chase the company that we know gonna raise the next round. So we all let's say fashion victim of the newest trend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Mary, last question. How do you define success? I guess professionally, it's about working with some of these companies that become global successes with with a positive impact. That that would be great success. Personally, as said earlier, the exposure to to learn a lot of great new things, work with great people, continue to to develop and experience the full spectrum of of the human experience. So the last question on my side, why England, just this is like a theme question because of you, why England is the wettest country on the planet? Because <laughs> uh, it's an island, I guess, from a geography perspective. Yeah, that's actually bad, but it's because the Queen has reigned there for decades. Thank you so much to our guest. I like it. Very good. I was yeah. worried you were going to ask me an, an England football question as an Italian, but uh, glad you didn't. Yeah, there's like this, this festival of stereotypes through here, isn't it? 
Uh, so, <laughs> thank you so much, Hamid. It's been absolutely great to have you here. And just a big thank you to all our thank listeners, all the children, guys. Thank you as always for supporting us. And, and yeah, let's see in the next episode. Thanks, guys.